0: Boy, some things are just timeless, aren't they? Our Lord is trying to correct, and the first person stands up and says, you're insulting us. And without the deeper understanding of the message, and we're more worried today about feelings than we are salvation. That's quite possibly the greatest mistake we are making in our world today. Tomorrow, I'm not sure who has the mass, um, but it is October the 13th. That's a huge and important day, because what does Mary tell us? Unless we stop offending God, there will be consequences. And this message God has been given us through especially of our Blessed Mother, especially over the last century. And people say, why so much the last century? Why have there been more Marian apparitions in the last century? From all the way to Mary appearing on the roof in Egypt, to Fatima, to all the others. In the last century, there's been more Marian apparitions than at any other time. I think it ties to October the 13th. You know, it was back in 1884 on October the 13th that Pope Leo the 13th overheard a conversation between Jesus and Satan and Satan said, I can bring down your church. He said, you think so? He said, yes, but I need more time and I need more power. And Jesus said, how much time? He said, about a hundred years. How much power? I need enough power to persuade the lukewarm, the indifferent soul over to my side. And God granted him the power. Why did God grant him the power? Because the Bible tells us we must be tested in the crucible. True love is never seen unless it is tested. You ever wonder that about somebody? Do you really love me? Do you really love me? Well, when the rubber hits the road, you see. You see who really cares about you. When the chips are down, then you'll see who comes around. So, this message is very clear. And so, whether that hundred years that Christ granted Satan started in 1884, which some people believe, some theologians, because it was 100 years later in 1984 that John Paul consecrated the world to the Immaculate Heart. Or, if it began in 1917, because Satan made this great push in 1917, World War I was raging, um, the Masonic bankers took their first nation in Russia, um, uh, Sanger took uh, uh, a new leap into craziness, and, and the founder of Planned Parenthood, Margaret Sanger, um, opened up the first birth control clinic in New York the year before, then opened— uh, released the movie in 1917 called Birth Control. It was just nuts. But God is not outdone. Evil does not have the last say. What did God do? He responded in 1917 with Fatima. He responded with Fatima. And not just October the 13th, but let's go back to May 13th. Do you know what happened on May 13th, 1917? Did you know that Pope Pius the 12th, another smear campaign by the secular world, but he was, he was installed as bishop in May 13th, 1917. You also know what happened? Pope Benedict the 15th was praying a novena to Our Lady of Mercy, of all things, and on the eighth day of his novena, Mary appeared at Fatima on May 13th. It's amazing. So where sin abounds, God's grace abounds, the more. 1917 was this battleground, or at least where the war began. And tomorrow we celebrate this 13th. Why am I bringing it up today if it isn't until tomorrow? Because it applies to the readings. We just heard Philip read the works of the flesh, immorality, impurity, licentiousness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, rivalry, jealousy, outbursts of fury, acts of selfishness, dissensions, factions, occasions of envy, drinking bouts, orgies and the like. I can guarantee you it, all of us have at least one thing on that list, if not more than one. And so the message of Fatima is to stop this. And a lot of people say, We get a lot of letters from non-Catholics saying, why do you harp on this? Jesus did it all on the cross. I don't have to worry about anything. Uh Uh-uh. What does Paul tell you right here? I've warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. He's making it very clear. Paul didn't say, don't worry about it. Jesus did it all on the cross. Yes, he did for our redemption, as long as we cooperate with that grace. If we don't cooperate with that grace, this, this is the whole purpose of the Divine Mercy Chaplet. You ever listen to the words, for the sake, hear that, for the sake of his sorrowful passion. What is that saying? Don't worry about it because he did the passion. Is that what the chaplet says? Live the life you want to live. Don't worry about it because Jesus died on the cross. No, it's just for the sake of his sorrowful passion. Don't let it be in vain for your soul. Now, it's not in vain because heaven's been opened and there are many saints there. So Christ's death on the cross will never be in vain. But don't let it be in vain for your soul. If you don't cooperate with this grace, if you don't ask for his mercy then his death is in vain for your soul. And he doesn't want that. You know, a lot of people say to us, well, why do you worry about all this? It's not about works. No, it's not about works of the law. That's what we just heard in the the gospel. All right. He's not talking about the works of the law. He's talking about um, works of love. The last couple of readings, we've been talking about he says, it's not about the law. Well, wait a minute then. Jesus said, I didn't, I didn't cancel the law. No, he fulfilled it. Dietary and ritual laws. Yes, we don't, we're not Jews anymore. We, we, we don't have to be technically circumcised. We don't have to technically avoid certain foods like shellfish people. Oh, this is another one. I don't follow the Bible because it doesn't apply today. It says I can't eat shellfish. Or cut my hair. Therefore, I cancel the entire meaning of the Bible. You know who said that? You know who said that I can't follow a book that says I can't eat shellfish or cut my hair or endorses slavery? First of all, slavery is a completely different. Slaves are part of the family. I've done a talk on that. I'm not going to go there now. But you know who said that? Our own former president. I can't follow a book that says, I can't eat shellfish, cut my hair, or endorse the slavery, then what that means is, sorry, you don't understand Christ. Christ fulfilled the dietary and ritual laws. We no longer have to be circumcised to get to heaven. We no longer have to avoid shellfish or let our hair grow or cut our hair. Dietary and ritual laws, Christ fulfilled, they're done. We're not Jews. That's why people say, you crazy Catholics, you're not Christian, you're pagan because you don't follow the Sabbath. You're right, we don't follow the Sabbath. We're not Jews. The reason that we worship Christ on Sunday and still fulfill the commandment to worship God is we follow the Lord's day, which is Sunday because Jesus chose Sunday to resurrect. You have a problem with worship God on Sunday? Talk to Jesus. Demand to know from him why he chose Sunday to resurrect and not Saturday. People don't get this. And so a lot attack us for being pagan in that sense. But what he didn't do was cancel the moral law. We just heard it. Paul just said that if we do these things, immorality, impurity, licentiousness, idolatry, we can't enter the kingdom of God. He ratcheted up the moral law. The one that always gets me is where he says, you heard it said before, you are not to commit adultery. But I say to you, if you even think this way impurely, you are committing adultery. Every time I hear that, I'm like, oh boy, because our thoughts can run amok. And so we have to understand what God is telling us. He's calling us to a higher level. And it starts with these issues of morality. Jesus didn't cancel the moral law. So you know what our society does today? Because they don't want to live by the moral law? They cancel God. They cancel God. So where I want to fish, finish, fish. <laughs> I haven't been fishing enough—that's I, I, my one—that's my one break. Uh, we didn't—Brother Mark and I only got out a couple times this year. And where I want to finish is saying the sad thing is I, nobody's doubting the moral law isn't tough. When I do my examination of conscience, I went to confession recently, and I'm—and I'm, my examination of conscience, which you should do each day. I keep on my cell phone the, the areas that I'm working on or my falls or my failures. And the list was really long on this confession. Impatience and gluttony and, you know, all the, all the struggles we have. And as, I, as I'm reading those, I'm thinking, praise be to God that we have the church. That we have forgiveness in the confessional. But the world that doesn't want to live up to those things, what do they do? They instead cancel God. And they want to convince themselves that God doesn't exist, so they don't have to follow this moral law. But where I want to finish is something that Brother Mark has brought up many times, and we've talked about it many times. You may have heard about it. Maybe you haven't. It's called Pascal's Wager. Anybody here ever heard of Pascal's Wager? It's one of the most fascinating and simplistic things ever. You know, when I was in college, the computer languages that I'm dating myself were Fortran and Pascal. (laughs) Well, Blaise Pascal said a very simple statement that I think is one of the most profound statements in the history of the world. Why not believe in God? What do you got to lose? Here's Pascal's wager. If you, he basically said you are risking your e, entire eternal fate on whether or not you believe in God or not. And remember, believe is not just saying God exists. The demons believe God exists. Believing in God is following the moral law, okay? So Pascal said, and make sure I get this right, you're risking your whole entire eternal fate whether or not you believe in God and follow him as a disciple. Now, if you believe in God, he said, and you are right, you have everything to gain. And if you are wrong, you've got nothing to lose. Okay? So if you believe in God and you are... If you believe in God and you are right... You have everything to gain. If you believe in God and you are wrong, you've got nothing to lose. Now, on the flip side, he said, if you don't believe in God and you are right, you have nothing to gain. But if you don't believe in God and you are wrong, You've got everything to lose. So he says, if you're a betting man, wouldn't you bet on the one where you have everything to gain and nothing to lose rather than the one you have nothing to gain and everything to lose? That's why they call it Pascal's wager. Think about that. You believe in God and you're right. You got everything to gain. If you're wrong, you got nothing to lose. You don't believe in God and you are right. There is no God. You have nothing to lose. But if you are wrong, you've got everything to lose. Powerful stuff. The bottom line is, why would you not take those odds and say, you know what? I'm going to look at this and say, you know what, whether I'm right or wrong, I got everything to gain, nothing to lose if I put my bank in God. And if I don't bank on God, I've got nothing to gain and everything to lose if I'm wrong. What a wake up call, because to me, that's the message here. The world has chosen the latter. Catholics have chosen, the, at least if you're practicing your Catholic faith, you've chosen to believe in God and you're wagering your eternal fate on it. The secular world has chosen not to believe in God so they can continue to live in licentiousness, impurity, immorality, idolatry, hatred, as if there is no God. The dangerous thing? You're putting your wager... On the wrong side. Because if we do that, you got nothing to gain if you're right, but you got everything to lose if you're wrong. Don't risk that. That is not something you want to risk. So we'll bet on football games, we'll bet on the Super Bowl, we'll even have friendly wagers with our friends and family. I bet cameraman Giuseppe Big Macs all the time. But when it really comes to matter, think of Pascal's wager. Because God does exist, and you don't want to be wrong and find out then you have everything to lose. Rather, be right and find out you have everything to gain.
1: Are you a Marian Helper?